Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Morquecho, and you're listening to episode 10. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is Natalie Frank Hayes. Natalie is an entrepreneur, mobilization marketer, community builder, and neuroscience nerd. As one of the founders of the Rising Tide Society and the head of community at HoneyBook, she leads tens of thousands of creatives and small business owners while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. In the last few years, Natalie has overcome a benign brain tumor. She's fought infertility. She's welcomed her miracle baby into the world. And just recently, Natalie and her hubby decided to sell their home in the spirit of saying no to stuff, things they don't need, saying no to living big and being stuck in one place, and instead saying yes to simplicity, doing more with less, choosing adventure and prioritizing experiences. And I especially can't wait to dive into that last part with you today, Natalie. Welcome to We Are Free. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're doing. You're doing a lot of incredible things, but for some reason, maybe because Jesse and I are a little similar to this, it piqued my interest and excitement when you said you were selling your home and you guys were going to take off on some adventures. Um, But before we get into that, you've kind of had a lot going on the last few years, Um, big, hard things, good things, all of the above. Um, You had a brain tumor. Not many people go through that. You struggle through infertility. I get some Mm -hmm. of that, different stories, but I get a little bit of it. Um, And now you have your beautiful, squishy baby Huey. (laughs) He's so cute. Um, Natalie, what do you think, like, what would you say God is like has been teaching you over like mm-hmm. through all of these things? I know that's a really big question right off the bat. That is a huge question. I you, you just, you I just tease that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I think, you know, the biggest, well, I can't even say the biggest because immediately a billion things come to mind. I think God is teaching me quite a lot. I think he's stripping away a lot of who I was and reshaping me into Uh, a different person. I would hope to say a better person. I think prior to going through brain surgery, even I had a lot of weight wrapped up, um, you know, in the way things appear in making my life fit a certain mold and checking off the boxes and climbing the ladder in leaning into my Enneagram three as much as possible. And probably not always in the healthiest, you know, there, there was a lot of striving in that season. There was a lot of prioritization that wasn't the correct prioritization in that season. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going through something where my early twenties, I was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor and I really did not open up about it until, you know, I found out I needed surgery. And if, if you talk to me sort of now in retrospect, when I shared about it, a lot of people were like, oh, wow, you know, you're being so brave. You're being so vulnerable. That was not the case at all. Um, there was no bravery behind my decision to share. It was out of necessity. I think God really used that moment of needing to go in for brain surgery to kind of push me all the way to my limit of needing to evaluate what really matters in my life and what the legacy of my life is truly going to be. Not the legacy that people perceive it to be, Mm -hmm. but the legacy of what I've actually done with the minutes and the hours and the days that he has given me on this planet. And it was sort of a reality I had never confronted in a life or death situation ever, Mm -hmm. ever, not, not to that magnitude. And so, you know, 
when I decided to share, it was not from a place of bravery, but I think I had that moment where I realized if I don't make it out on the other side of this surgery, do I want this to be the legacy I leave behind a legacy where I wasn't courageous enough to share what I was really going through with the world, where I worried about how people would perceive me if they knew I was struggling with a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how would, how would that ultimately, you know, what would that ultimately look like and how, how would that impact people for better or for worse? If on the other side of this, they realized they didn't really know me at all. I struggled with that. And I think God used that that season to bring a lot of reflection and just kind of pruning mm-hmm. away at, at the armor that I had kind of created for myself, both to protect myself and to live into this ideal that I thought I had to be this, this strong and independent leader, you know, this person that found validation in social networks and found validation with her diploma and found validation and, um, you know, with the successes that she had in business and in life. And God kind of stripped all of that away, or at least started to, I think it's still a process I walk through as a, as a human now. And then you step into a season of infertility where, you know, I, I say this a lot, but I think I might be the only woman in the world who was excited to start fertility treatment. You know, I had been told no, um, for a long time. And after my surgery had finally gotten to a place where my neuro team, my neuroendocrine and neurosurgeons cleared me for a fertility treatment. And I was so excited to start until it started. And then the reality kind of set in of what this really meant. And, um, there was so much struggle there. I was someone who preached community over competition in business. And then when it came to my personal life, every baby shower invitation, every holiday where people celebrated with their families, every time a friend got pregnant, it was a personal challenge of whether I wanted to live out those values of really being for other women or whether I would start to fall into the trap of envy and jealousy and bitterness. And there was not always a beautiful season of me championing community over competition in my personal life. When I saw other women getting pregnant, it you know, I talked to my friend Mary Marantz about it, but it felt like someone was stealing my oxygen. Mm -hmm. It felt like someone was literally taking the air out of my lungs. And so effortlessly where I was struggling to gasp for another breath, I, you know, really struggled behind the scenes, but God used that. He used that to really challenge me on the values that he set in my heart and really forced me to fight for them Mm -hmm. and to fall and to stumble and to fail in fighting for them, but to get back up nonetheless, and to try again. And, um, you know, I think that after coming through some of that, even now as a parent, you know, that pain doesn't go away. This is something I was just talking to somebody about this morning. This pain doesn't go away now that there's a baby in my arms. Right. I get now the, the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a, a constant, um, reminder. It's odd even still seeing pregnancy announcements and feeling jealous, even though I have a child, I mean, it's a whole process. Yeah. God does touch through it, through, through the pain and through, through what we're walking through. But I think the, the high level I would hope is that he is peeling back the bits of me that feel this need to be perfect and perform and have this life that I, I envisioned that I set out mm-hmm. and and he's showing me what he has set out right. and the vision that he has. And in the places where that didn't intersect either whether at all or on my timeline, he's giving me so much grace in that. And I'm working to give myself so much grace in that. And also just showing, showing me the beauty that lies beyond my plan, but in his plan. And that's been really hard. That's been, um, 
you know, it's easy to talk about it here with you and make it sound like it's something I have full wisdom on and fully understand. But truthfully, I'm, I'm brokenly walking through this as a human being and just trying to do my best and trying to lean on not my strength, but on, on the Lord's. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, and that's exactly where he wants us. It's like, oh, we could do it ourselves and be strong and all that stuff. But he wants us to be not, he wants us to be broken, but he wants us to lean on him and rely on him. So I can relate to seasons, different circumstances, but being in that place and needing him so fully, I think is so sweet. It's so hard, but it's so sweet at the same time. Someone said that to me actually before my surgery. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I was in a very, very dark place, um, heading into that surgery. I mean, I describe it, um, I think in one of the, one of the places I've been, I've been writing a book and in one of the chapters that I'm writing about, I kind of describe it like a tunnel of tearful phone calls where I just felt like it was in my mind, maybe the last time I would talk to somebody and not even the last time, you know, overall, but maybe the last time I would remember, mm-hmm. I was really concerned about coming out on the other side of the surgery, not being me, mm-hmm. not feeling like me or having something go wrong and, um, not regaining all of my faculties. And, you know, someone said to me in that moment, like you, you can't imagine it now, but what a blessing it is to be on your knees and totally needing to lean on the Lord. Like most people never get to experience this until the end of their life. Like it will be a blessing. Like you don't see it now. And you're probably going to hate me for saying this. I, I like remember this conversation of like, but this is a blessing. And one day I hope you see it as that. And I think looking back, like I can already start to see it as that. I think it really, um, it was, it was extremely painful to go through, but also really changed my relationship mm-hmm. with God Yeah, really did out of necessity because I couldn't, I could not go through it on my own. I was, I fell apart, right. you know, um, I was staring at something that I wasn't quite equipped to handle and, um, Yeah. And then that advice kind of, it hit me. And I I remember looking back and kind of being like, oh, that's a weird thing to say to somebody. Why would you say that to somebody? Now in retrospect, I'm like, no, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. I I can see it a lot clearer now. Yeah. So I'm guessing some of those experiences have at least a little bit of something to do with your guys' decision um, to sell your home and all that. And like, if you are in the creative industry, you probably know Natalie. And from the outside looking in, like Natalie's, Natalie's made it big. You, you're doing important things. You are successful. So why as somebody who's making it big and trying to help other people grow their businesses and lives and scale and rise to the top and get more, like you have chosen to like step back in your personal life in that realm and choose something a little bit smaller. Tell me why you and Hugh, um, decided that. So I think the biggest learning that I took away from that surgery was that time is my most precious currency, that it's not about money. Um, money I can always make. I always say that I'm like, I can always go make more money. If mm-hmm. I have to, I can get a part-time job somewhere making more money. Like I, money is not a problem. I can always get more. You can always get more. Time is something that we do not have control over. Tomorrow is not promised. And I think I had my own realization with that throughout that season of, um, going through surgery and dealing with my health. And so when our lives kind of bounce back from that, and we found ourselves following yet again, the path we thought we needed to follow, we, you know, came back to our families. We went back into the house we had bought when we were newlyweds. We started making plans to either build a bigger home or buy a bigger home. And even down to, you know, I, I laugh, but 
I said, Oh, I need to go buy the SUV. Like all the moms have, I got to go buy this like nice SUV. And I started looking at luxury cars and how much it would cost. And yeah, you we got can a make checklist. that happen. You got to do those I things. Had, I fell right back into it and immediately started to, you know, go through the motions that I had gone through my entire life. But this time I had a different perspective this time, those things didn't fill me the way that they used to. I didn't, I didn't envision, you know, checking off a box on the list, bringing me joy anymore because I knew that it was an empty feeling. It was sort of a spike in dopamine levels, a small, you know, fleeting moment of enjoyment. And then it was gone. It was not true joy, right? Mm -hmm. It was sort of like a, a placebo effect of thinking that you're happy, but really it's, it's the world telling you what you should be doing. And you kind of falling in line with that addiction of striving. And I was falling back into it. And Hugh and I kind of had a really candid conversation with one another where, you know, we both said to each other, you know, is this really what we want for our lives? Do we really want to go down this path at least right now? Um, if ever, is this really what we want or what we're feeling called to do? And, the answer was kind of no on every front. Mm -hmm. It was no, we don't, we don't want to follow this path. No, we don't really feel like we've been led there. If anything, we've been led the complete opposite direction. We went from buying, you know, a 1600 square foot townhouse right after we got married, which isn't big by any means. Um, you know, it's a very like standard size house to moving into an 800 square foot apartment in San Francisco when we moved across the country to, recognizing that even in that small apartment, we had more space than we needed little things that had just kind of been brought forth to us. And, um, we kind of had that, that moment where we just looked at each other and we're like, no, this isn't really what we want. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? We don't want debt. We don't want more. We, I don't need the luxury SUV, nor do I really want it. You know, the paid off Honda Accord is serving <laughs> me just fine. Right. <laughs> yes. We've been driving it since high school, but it's, it's working. almost a trophy I mean, I, though, to see how long yeah. you can have a car. So I, I'm really enjoying it right now. Yeah. I know. I really, I, it's, I mean, it, there would be some things that would be nice, like heated seats, but right. you know what? It's okay. Yeah. It, it's You'll get by in life without them. And I just, I found so much, um, joy in not feeling the pressure to strive to pay for things I didn't need or to pay for a dream that wasn't mine. Mm. And instead to find ways to like what we've done personally is really save and invest. We have no debt. We have no credit card debt. My student loans are completely paid off. Now we don't even have a mortgage. I mean, we're crashing at my in-laws house. We've kind of gone the complete opposite <laughs> direction and just taking things one step at a time and embracing the fact that we don't have everything figured out, which is a huge step for me as someone that, you know, is a natural ladder climber, a mm -hmm. natural achiever, a natural, as we've talked about multiple times, check all the boxes, gal, you know, to actually say, wait, I don't know what the next season holds. We aren't sure. We know a couple things. We know that our marriage is a forever marriage and we want to invest in that. We know that our family comes first. We know that, you know, our, our passions as we pursue them are meant to make an impact in the lives of other people. And so those things are kind of steadfast. Those things are kind of our, our foundation, you right. know, and from there as a couple, as a family, we're trying to figure out what the other pieces look like, but mm -hmm. I can, I can tell you that at this season right now, it doesn't look like building a massive home right. and it doesn't look like going and, and following that dream that I think we thought for a long time was our next step or, you know, what we would pursue. It looks like 
truthfully, you know, we have three months planned out. That's it. So it looks like getting in our car and just going and driving to the places where I've cultivated community over the last four and a half years, meeting people in person, having meals with them, sitting down with them, hearing their pain points, hearing what they're struggling with, getting to know them one-on-one, investing in them and not, not to make a, a profit off of it. You know, I'm, I'm not going there and trying to sell a course or even sell HoneyBook for goodness sakes. Like I'm going there to connect with them and to sit and spend time with people and, you know, take my family along for, for that ride and that adventure. I want to show my son, you know, the importance in cultivating relationships and the fact that all of us are part of one human family. And I need him to experience that from the time that he's little, not just through my words, but through my actions. Mm -hmm. And that that's kind of what our, our hope is. So that's truthfully what we're doing. We're getting in our car. We're driving down the coast of the East Coast, and then we're driving west and going to the West Coast. And we haven't have you done that before? It sounds familiar. Doesn't <laughs> it, it does sound it familiar. Sounds, it sounds familiar. Um, but that's that's about as far as I think we have planned. And then spending a little more time back on the West Coast, and from there we genuinely have no idea where we will end up or what it will look like, or if we'll, like we've talked about right now, we haven't even bought an RV. Like we haven't even invested to the point of getting a mobile home. You know, we basically are going to just sleep on people's couches, guest rooms, live in Airbnbs. We, we don't know. Um, but we're, we're taking it one step at a time. And I, I'm kind of leaning back and stepping in faith and just saying like, there's a reason that we are being pushed to this type of lifestyle. And there's a reason that we are rejecting a lot of things that we once clung to for, you know, trophies of success Mm -hmm. and trophies of validation that we have it together, that we're doing the right thing that, you know, we're, we're living the life we should. And we're, we're rejecting a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and also starting to see friends in our lives, people that we really respect and admire doing oddly similar things without us talking about it at all. And that's where lately I've started to kind of be like, aha, you know, they're doing something We're similar. We're onto something or, here. There's something happening. There's sort of a, a countercultural movement, I think, happening, um, especially among a lot of believers. And it's been really interesting to see that and to see how each person has a slightly different interpretation as to why like Mm -hmm. why they're feeling pushed to it. And it's very personal to their story. But nonetheless, I think we're seeing a lot of reinvestment in people, reinvestment in experiences, in doing things together, not spending our money on things, but rather on like opportunities to grow as people, whether Mm -hmm. that's, you know, going to a national park as a family or just taking a Sunday afternoon and going to the pumpkin patch, which you can't do if you're working 24 seven. Right. And you can't do if you're constantly striving. And, and I'm, you know, I, I think we're, we're navigating that as a family. Do you think there's anything you're going to miss from having family, mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. Our, our, we're both high school sweethearts. We're from the same hometown. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think long-term we really struggle with where we're going to end up because we really want to end up where our families are. Mm-hmm. And we've, and that's part of the reason too, even in selling our house that, you know, we've moved our stuff into our in-laws house and we're kind of living here right now just to be by family. So I think that's the thing we'll miss most when we're on the road. But also I think the thing that will keep calling us back to Annapolis is the deepest relationships and community that we have, which is our, our family here. Yeah. Do you think you'll miss any tangible thing or possession or, Mm. um, part of a life that is building something bigger versus the direction you guys are going? I think that, you know, it's funny. I'm sitting here trying to think of a physical mm-hmm. thing that I miss. Um, no, 
Mm-hmm. I don't think a physical thing. I think the the biggest thing that we will miss is the people and their relationships and the ability to dig deep with local roots for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I put like for a little while, because again, I even think we sit here and and Hugh and I were talking about it last night. And he said, you know, I keep going back and forth. Where do we want to live? Do we want to live on the West coast? Do we want to live back here in Annapolis long-term? Do we not want to pick any place at all? Like, I don't know. And I think the thing we keep coming back to is, you know, the biggest thing we're afraid of losing is the family and the roots and the local connection to people that we love, that we've known our entire lives here mm-hmm. and wanting to continue to invest in those relationships. Um, physical things though, not really. I mean, if you downsize enough, you realize that you can put <laughs> things in boxes all you want, but you know, two years later we came back to boxes that we had in storage and we didn't even know what they were. Yes. I mean, we, we had forgotten. I feel like um, once you're living without it for <clears throat> a few months, it's pretty much gone. Yeah. And I've adopted that mentality Mm -hmm. with a lot of things. If I haven't worn something, you know, in a year, eight months, and I physically didn't put it on my body, then there's no reason for me to carry it. It's like shedding the things that we carry with us and trying to minimize as much as possible. And that's been, you know, something I think that's been a long time coming, but especially happened when we switched from our townhouse to this, you know, tiny apartment in San Francisco to coming back and then I mean, really, we we said at one point, even before little Huey got here, we said, this townhouse is swallowing us whole. It's so big. I don't know what to do. Am I supposed to just fill the rooms with stuff? I mean, that's what it felt like. And what's so funny is I remember being a newlywed. Oh, Becky, I remember this so vividly. Being a newlywed and we bought that townhouse and it was all we could afford. Okay. It was all we could afford at the time. Hugh had just started working in marketing. Um, I was a full-time wedding photographer. I was still paying off all of my college debt. Um, I paid my way through school. I was like finishing up the remainder of that debt. Um, I had car payments. He had car payments. Like we were, we were in such a different place and we were really, really just trying to get into whatever we could afford. And I remember thinking as a newlywed, oh, looking out at the world of Instagram and Pinterest Mm. and saying, I just can't wait until I get that house with the big backyard and the purple or the perfect marble countertops. Purple would be great too, really, (laughs) but perfect marble countertops and, you know, the subway tile backsplash and the gorgeous light that just pours in through the windows and endless space. And just, I can't wait till I can afford that one day. And what's so funny is the irony of coming back across the coast, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe what, five years after getting married, six years almost after getting married and coming back into that little house that at one point I thought would be the smallest, the start, the littlest, the most humble of our beginnings and recognizing that it was too much. Mm-hmm. And I think that if anything speaks to sort of the transformation that we're on, I think it's that sentiment right there. The girl who bought that house was striving for so much more. Right. And the girl who returned from California realized that she had everything she ever needed all yeah. along. And it wasn't in a house or in stuff or in more that it was kind of knit very deep within the fabric of her being from the time she was created. And I think that's been sort of a journey that I'm, I'm walking on and I hope to continue walking on. That's beautiful. I love that so much. And I think there's so much truth in like who God has created us to be and the desires he has for our hearts and our lives. And I think it's like, it's such a refreshing, like, revelation to like get back to that place of who he's created us to be. I love that. Have you and Hugh, like this is a lot been going on the last few years. Like, yeah. Have you guys been on the same page with all of this, like throughout or what did that look like? 
Yeah, no, not always. Um, <laughs> when we when we moved out to California, for instance, after, um, you know, it was kind of a crazy season, but basically in the same month, found out that the fertility clinic on the East Coast wasn't willing to treat us. That was hard. And the opportunity to move out to California. I mean, it all happened in a matter of a couple of weeks. And so when we moved out, for me, it was an escape. It was like sort of a way to get away from the reality that my friends back home were starting families. And that might not be something we get to do soon, if ever. And for Hugh, he was, he was miserable about the idea in many ways. Like he challenged me to really take the opportunity because he's like, Oh, well, never again, we'll get this chance. This is so cool. Let's, let's go do it. Um, but he also made it very clear. He's like, we will be in San Francisco for one year. I mean, it was like, that's it. That's all I'm willing to commit to is one year. 365 days, not one more. That is it. That is it. And to the point where, you know, we like, that's it. We did a one year lease on an apartment. That's all we were going to do. And sure enough, you know, about eight months into that, that lease is when we got the news that I needed brain surgery. And, you know, looking back, it's really clear that God, God orchestrated the whole thing. I mean, to the point where we were at the hospital, that was one of the best hospitals on the West coast for this surgery, you know, that the medical team there identified that surgery was the best option for treating what I had been dealing with. And, you know, then we ended up in the right fertility, like all of those things. So that one year quickly became two. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of two years, I was very ready to leave. We had found out we were pregnant and I just was like, I want to go home. I want to go back to our families. I'm going to need that support. And Hugh flipped and he <laughs> said, I don't want to leave. I love it here. I've made friends here. I've made connections here. You know, he was having the time of his life in California. He's like, I don't want to go home. And so then we were on totally different pages, but, you know, ultimately decided to come back. So we did and we got back. And as soon as we got back, it's it for a while, I was loving it. And he still was yearning for the West coast and yearning for California. And so even now, I think part of the reason we're going on this, this trip and, and just kind of shedding away a lot of our, um, you know, our, our I don't know what, what to, like our, it's not even our roots, but just the need to be in one place to have our, our whole investment in one house or our, our roots kind of planted in one place in this season is that both of us are on the same page of what we don't want, but not on the same page of what we do want. And so we're kind of on an adventure to figure out what that looks like. Meaning, you know, is it to stay in Annapolis when we, you know, raise little Huey long-term uh, with school? Is it to be in a motorhome where he's, you know, doing the online homeschool thing and, you know, recess looks like going through a national park and adventure. That adventuring. sweet. Jesse I mean, would like to be your tour guide. <laughs> that's my vote. That's yeah. where I'm at currently. Um, but we'll see. And so we don't know. So yes, there have been many seasons where I think we're either on the same page and many seasons where we are definitely not on the same page. But our relationship is one where we have been together for over 13 years mm-hmm. as a couple. And we've seen a lot of life in that 13 years. And even in taking our wedding, our wedding vows seven years into our relationship, when we committed to one another and said things like in sickness and in health, we had no idea that that vow would become so integral so early to our marriage, you know, in good times and in bad, never had any idea what was around the corner, none whatsoever in so many different ways, you know? And, and I think that we have learned that we don't always know what the future holds. We can't always control what the future holds, but we have a choice every day to show up for one another. And that is something that I'm really, really proud of in our marriage is that we've done that. And we have, you know, 
just been the rock foundation for one another in seasons when everything else is kind of up in, in, you know, the air and Mm -hmm. we're not sure how to go forward or proceed. So even when we're not on the same page, it's so funny how we're like, yeah, we, we both really aren't sure what comes next, but we do know what does like some aspects of what does and it's our family and it's us and just taking it one step at a time and kind of listening to one another's hearts and desires and that, and, and trying to navigate it in a world where both of us can, can live out what we're being called to live out together. Yeah. Natalie, what do you feel like God has, do you feel like you're sacrificing anything to gain what he Mm. has for you? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have, yes, like it's, it's hard to even articulate entirely, but if you were to have asked me at 22 mm-hmm. when we were getting married, you know, what, what do you want, Natalie? And then if you look at what God had for me, I think the things I wanted were five babies and a house with a white pick fence. And if you had told me, you know, like that wouldn't be what I had all these months later, all these years later, as time has gone on, I would have, I, I would claim that that was a sacrifice. What's so ironic and so interesting about it all is that you know, in not being able to get pregnant for the first six years of our marriage, ultimately, you know, God, God gave us different babies, so to speak Mm -hmm. in a metaphorical sense, you know, a a business that introduced me to people, a community that changed my entire life. And I hope the lives of other people learnings each step of the way. So, I mean, there were definitely sacrifices made and there are still sacrifices made. There are, are a lot of times when, you know, I look back to other seasons and I, I think about, oh, well, if I had just, you know, launched a course and built an empire the way I thought I wanted to, rather than commit myself to cultivating community for others and helping other people to build their empires all the time. Yeah. I would probably be in a very different place in business. I would probably have a lot more zeros at the Mm -hmm. end of my bank account numbers and, uh, would be in a slightly different place. Not to say that, you know, what I have is not successful, but it's a very different definition than I think I might've perceived earlier on in my career where I wanted to be, or what would have brought me joy or what would have enabled me to make the impact that I'm being called to make. Mm -hmm. So it's a tough thing to think about, but I, I do think that, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'm thinking about it. It's kind of stream of consciousness, but yeah. Do you feel very clearly right now? Like this is where God wants you without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, there are things that I have pushed back on doing for a long time um, because I was afraid and I feel like God just kept putting it right back in my my view, right back in my view over and over again. A lot of things that I always joke, I'm, I'm a wave maker and I'm a little bit disobedient sometimes. <laughs> I feel like- You can just God call that creativity. That, it's just your creative oh, nature. I know, but sometimes I do feel like I, I really, and I mean this, I feel like I was like, okay, you're going to do this next. And I'm like, nope, nope, not me. No, no, no. She can go do that. That is not for me. I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. That is terrifying. I'm not stepping into that. So there've been a couple of things where I have said no for a very long time. Um, and right now for the first time I'm stepping into them mm. and I do feel like I'm, I'm precisely where, where God wants me and needs me in ways that I'm excited about and some ways that I'm terrified of and not very excited about, right. um, not feeling ready to step into certain shoes or not feeling ready to leave certain things behind or make certain decisions. And so it's, it's kind of a a mixed bag, but the short answer, I guess is yes. But that's right where he wants us leaning on him. It's like those terrifying things, those 
hard, challenging things, but you know it's the right space. I feel like that's exactly where he wants yeah. us all the time. Yeah. Because then it's not on us. <laughs> it's on him. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about your book at all? I'd like to know about sure. it. But <laughs> how is yeah, that going? I, what are you writing about? So speaking of things that I've put off for mm -hmm. a very, very long time, I wanted to write a book for a long time and I felt the desire to do it and I felt called to do it, but I have kind of pushed it away and been sort of someone that's like, nope, not now. No, not me. I mean, I, I turned down a very nice book deal from one of the top publishers about a year and a half ago because of the exact same feeling of this is amazing and this is wonderful, but I am not ready. I am not ready to write this book. Actually, the point where I found out it was going through fertility treatment when I turned down the offer. And I vaguely just remember this feeling of relief, you know, like complete and total relief upon turning down a very nice book deal. Um, if, if those publishers are listening, you were amazing and I'm very <laughs> grateful, but it was not the right season for me to write that book and come full circle to re-engaging with my literary agent, a couple of weeks ago, months now, I guess, and just stepping forward and sending them an email and saying to their team, all right, it's time. Like, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I woke up and it's time. I'm ready. I'm ready to write it. And so the book bottom line is about working and fighting for togetherness in a world that pulls us apart. It's about you know, this vision of community over competition and what it really means and what it really looks like and how I have both seen it lived out and how I personally have struggled and failed with it many times. Mm -hmm. And what I really believe this could mean for the future, mm -hmm. uh, specifically for women. I think that there is a lot of cultural nuances and narratives that are pitting us against each other, that are telling us to compete, that someone's not a friend, they're a threat, that, you know, we're comparing one, comparing ourselves to one another and doing it in a way that is tearing apart the fabric of our, our very, you know, beings of our wholeness of, of who we are. And so what I'm, what I'm fighting for is a world where it's quite the opposite, where we look at one another and the paths that each of us are pursuing as part of a greater plan and where all of us are able to really fulfill our callings and not, not to do it, you know, because we feel we need to, or because we have to compete with another woman or because we have to be more successful than she is or whatever that looks like, whatever the world is telling us in terms of a, an independence mindset of mm -hmm. individuality and, and achieving for one, but instead looking at it as interdependence and all of us striving towards something collectively and each of us having a unique and beautiful role in that and kind of tearing down the, that culture of competition and those walls of comparison and, and living out, you know, true community, yeah. at least striving to. And so that's, that's what the book is about. And right now I'm in the proposal process. So the proposal is done. I mean, I'm, it's out of my hands. I have written yes. the two sample chapters. I've created the entire proposal. It is currently in design and then hopefully it'll find its right home with a publisher that believes in the mission and the vision and is ready to help fight for this reality alongside me. So yeah. congrats. I'm, I'm hopeful. Getting, I'm excited. It sounds, I will, well, of course I'll have to read it, but, um, that proposal process is, it's hard. <laughs> I've heard multiple so people hard. say it's like harder than writing the book because you're doing mm -hmm. yourself. It's like a thesis. Um, yes. So congrats on getting that done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited to hear more about it. Uh, Natalie, what do you feel like over the last years, like with what God has taught you and been showing you, like, what do you feel set free from moving on mm -hmm. into this new season of adventure with your family? 
I think I feel like he has set me free from the constant battle of trying to prove that I am worthy Mm. and the constant battle of trying to prove that I am enough. And I feel as though in doing that and in helping to kind of navigate my life in a way that I've discovered it struggle by struggle and hardship by hardship, he's also equipped me with a story that will enable me just to reach the right people that also need to know that within their own lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think going forward, freedom looks a lot like leaning into what I'm created to do and saying no to the things that I am not meant to do and being okay when what I lean into isn't the world's definition of success or isn't necessarily the path that, you know, maybe I thought I was supposed to take in my earlier career as I've alluded to a couple of times, but instead to lean into the thing that he's calling me to do and to help other people to see that there is a specific path for them as well. And that that path is so beautiful and just as meaningful and incredible as everyone else is out there. And, you know, to kind of set aside the need to be just like everybody else to really step into what they're being called to do for themselves. Thank you so much for just sharing your heart and just what's going on in your life. And even as much as like last night, conversations with your husband, um, love just hearing from you. And I think it's so encouraging. You're such a leader, um, in that workforce, but I think even more so, and that's why I wanted to talk with you, like experiencing those things in your personal life. Um, I think it's great. I can't wait for people to hear this. Uh, where can we follow along? Yeah. So I think the the best place I would say, honestly, yes, is Instagram. Um, just at Natalie Frank on Instagram and we'll be sharing kind of each step as we go. And as we figure out what in the world we're doing, Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's a good place to start. We'll come to San Diego. We will. It's on the list. Great. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you so much. Again, don't forget to check out the show notes where we have all of the info and links and resources we talked about in the show. You can go to beckymorquecho.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-O-R-Q-U-E-C-H-O.com. Thanks for listening in.